0: Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And on today's show, I have a very special guest. Our guest is Sam Gardner, and Sam is one heck of a runner. She actually won the Rock and Roll Marathon um, down in New Orleans, down in 2015, But while that is a remarkable event in and of itself, and she's run very quickly since then in a variety of different uh, races and race distances, this story goes back a lot farther than that. Because back in 2005, uh, something happened to Sam, which is basically the nightmare scenario for every runner uh, that's ever gone out, especially every woman runner. Um, And... I'm not going to divulge too much of it here in the introduction, but suffice it to say, you're going to want to listen to what Sam has to say in this episode, because she, as she puts it, she went from um, basically from tragedy to triumph, um, from victim to victor, and it's uh, it really is remarkable. She is a fantastic person, a remarkable person in so many ways, and I was very privileged to help bring her story out in the open uh, for you to listen to. So I uh, I hope you like this episode about Sam and with Sam. Um, she really is fantastic. Like I said, you can follow her on Mobile Bay Runner, uh, which is her handle on all the social medias. It's also her website, Mobile. It's M-O-B-I-L-E Bay Runner. Runner. Uh, she is fantastic. And thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like it, I hope you share it with your friends. Uh, you can do it on social media or shoot, even face to face. You can tell them where to get the Rambling Runner podcast. Also, if you have any guest suggestions, please feel free to send them my way. Um, I didn't know who Sam was a while ago. And uh, it was, I was very lucky enough for her to introduce herself. And I'm so, I just feel so privileged that I was able to be part of this episode with her and if you know anybody out there that has an interesting story uh, to tell an inspiring story a motivational story or any other adjective you can throw out there please let me know you can find me on instagram at rambling underscore runner on that on twitter as well also you can email me at rambling podcast at gmail.com also you can follow me on patreon which is a way For you to support the show and also get some nice goodies as well. That's patreon.com forward slash rambling runner. Enough about me. Let's get into my conversation with Sam Gardner. Hello, Sam, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hey, Matt. (laughs) Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Well, I'm really uh I'm really excited to get into your story. It's one that I know will affect a lot of people, uh, people either can, who can relate to your story because they've had similar circumstances or know people who have or people who um, just can learn from your experience uh, in a variety of different ways. So first of all, thank you so much for coming on. Um, but before we get into it, I do want to kind of go back in time. And just talk about your beginning in running and athletics, just to kind of set the stage for you as an athlete.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so,
0: so just as a as a high school athlete, what what did you compete in?
1: All right. So probably <laughs> more accurate question would be, what did I not compete in? Um, but I was involved in lots of sports growing up. Um, I played tennis, softball, volleyball, basketball. Um, trying to think, what else? Like, uh, eventually, did join the track team. Um As a discus thrower, which is so random at this point um <laughs> but uh yeah, just was always very active and played lots of sports growing up so
0: well, did you also run the eight hundred meter i mean that 's a pretty rare double the discus and the yes. eight hundred
1: meter well, so I joined the track team, I guess my sophomore year in high school as a discus thrower, and then my junior year somehow got um, you know, converted over to a runner instead of a thrower. So, um, I did actually throw and run that year, but, uh, I, the discus was not my, um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I had a future in discus throwing. So,
0: <laughs> um, now, How but, would you, how would you go into discus instead of running in the first place? Obviously you were like an active kid. You must've known like how fast you were compared to your peers.
1: You know, no, I really didn't. Um, that's funny too, because, um, Back, like, when I was, I think I was in fifth or sixth grade, um, one of my good, good friends w- did join the, like, varsity track team, and um she was able to run, like, a, the two miles, so she just kind of, like, a at that point seemed like, you know, so far, she could run so far, but um they had an open tryout for everybody that, if anybody else in that, in that age range was interested, just so it wasn't just her that joined or whatever, um, and so I was like, oh, I'm going to try out for this, I can totally run you know, two laps. So, which I tried out for the 800 and, um, I I did not even run the, uh, the whole two laps. Um, (laughs) it was so so embarrassing. Um, so, I mean, I took off, you know, like, like you would when you're a kid and have no idea what you're doing. Um, just sprinting like crazy. And I think I made it, um, one lap and then I ended up walking and it it was bad. I did not make the team.
0: (laughs) you're right that does sound like a discus thrower now yeah, that I think right, about it
1: right. so the running thing was not it was dormant at some point Um, but my dad knew how to throw the discus and he was like you know I can teach you how to do this and you can join the team or whatever so he, uh, we had an empty lot um, beside our house and we would like go out there and throw the discus all the time um, so I got to be at least decent enough to make the team um, but yeah so random
0: <laughs> there you go so, so how did the 800 meter work out once you once you to progress to junior year
1: um it was pretty good i mean i did it it was i went to a very small school, so I and mean, we were like not you know this is not like competitive running by any means but um my i ran the four by 800 so the 3200 meter relay and then also just competed in the regular 800 um and i mean our team like you know we went to state or whatever was, again small school um but but yeah i um i guess that was kind of just like my first first taste of running. But I mean, even when I graduated high school, I had never run more than two miles at a time. Um, so it was just still very, you know, just short distances and things like that. Um, but yeah, I did enjoy, I enjoyed track and um, still enjoy the track workout. So I think, I guess that goes back to those roots.
0: <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. In between uh, 400 meter uh, reps. Now you throw do just do some throws in between. For yeah,
1: right. <laughs> um, yeah. I need to, uh, I, I've been kind of practicing my technique cause now we play disc golf sometimes. Um, and I'm like, Oh, I used to throw the discus. So let me show you how I do that. But, um, it doesn't work as well with the, the disc golf. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so but. what what state did you grow up in?
1: Um, Alabama. So
0: okay. All right. All right. Born so and then... used,
1: if you couldn't tell from the, uh, from that
0: accent. <laughs> well, I know your background, but I'm going to okay. set the stage. All right. So you're in Alabama. So you, you, you did, you did qualify for States uh, as a team and, so, yep. obviously, your team was, was was fairly good. And then uh, you went off to college. And what, what college did you go to?
1: Um, I went to Auburn.
0: Okay. Uh, All right. Auburn so, Michigan. was that – were you destined for Auburn? I know, like, obviously, like I'm aware <laughs> of the Alabama-Auburn rivalry. Uh-huh. Was this, were you an Auburn household, like, right from the jump?
1: No, I actually wasn't. Um, but my parents are both pretty, uh, pretty big Alabama fans. Um, basically, we're, like, not the – not the norm for the Alabama family because my dad actually played football at Auburn um, back in the day. And then he is now an Alabama fan, which is seems really odd. Um, But I grew up as an Alabama fan. And then when I I actually got my master's at Alabama too. So I went to those schools, um, ultimately just supporting all the state schools, you know,
0: (laughs) look at you. Yeah. That is that is pretty. That is pretty rare. The, the college football player who then converts to the other side.
1: Right. It's yeah. It's it's definitely not not normal.
0: <laughs> it must make reunion weekend for him a little tough. Right. <laughs> uh, all right. So you go you go to college and then um, you no. Know, did you play? Obviously, Auburn is you know a very high level school. So did how did you stay active when you first got there?
1: Yeah, So that is when I kind of. Um, I guess it was actually my freshman year. I took jogging as a, like an actual class. Like I got, you know, I got um, credit for going to jogging class. Um, and that's when I kind of got a little bit more into it. I think we would, I got up to where I would run like maybe three miles or something. Um, and I ran the, you know, fall 5k or whatever, SGA 5k. Um, that was my first time ever running over three miles. Um, and I was really worried about that point one. I didn't know if I was going to make it um, the whole way or anything, but, um, but yeah, just once I started doing a couple of races like that, I just, you know, really like got hooked and wanted to go farther. So I, you know, kind of progressed from a 5k to a 10k and then decided if I could do a 10k, I could probably do a half and you know how it goes.
0: (laughs) For sure. And then, you know, especially for, um, people who were in college who are staying active, I feel like oftentimes, at least the colleges that I attended and have worked at, and I've worked at several now, um, kind of entering races isn't too common unless someone was like a, like a college, like a high school runner who then you know maybe no longer is on a team necessarily. Like, so, yeah. By by high school runner, I guess I mean more of like the cross country runners because they're running like the two to five mile races, and that's kind of like their thing. So right. when you decided to start kind of getting into that after your first one. What about those races kind of hooked you in? Was it more like you liked the training or were you just competitive on race day?
1: Mm, I don't know that I was actually training at that point. So I think it was more just, you know, an outlet for me to still push myself and be competitive. Um, And yeah, I mean, it was more just the, it was satisfying to like set a goal. And uh, I guess, you know, I did train up. I guess it, it's like when you think about it now, I'm thinking that was not training that I was doing, but at the time I thought I was training. Um, so, but yeah, just, just something about having a, a goal and setting that and working towards it. That was very satisfying. Um, and it was still very satisfying.
0: <laughs> and was this a, um, did you have a running community you were part of, or was this a solo venture?
1: No, it was definitely a solo venture, um, at that point. So, um, like tennis was my big sport before, like in high school, that was like my main sport. Um, so again, it was kind of like the individualized, you know, an individual sport, um, and running was definitely a solo thing for me. Um, you know, I didn't know that, you know, running groups existed or, or things like that when I was in, in college. And I'm sure there were groups that I could have joined. I just didn't know enough about it to know that, that that was out there, you know? So in,
0: in tennis, especially for a kid is like the most individualistic of sports. Yes. Like um, even like an individual sport, like, like say swimming or golf, mm-hmm. like you you have a team around you, but for right. tennis, it's just like you and an instructor or you and the wall.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, and I, I mean, I also played doubles as well so then I mean, you can you can have a teammate um but with sure. doubles it it made me like it stressed me out because if I would miss a shot you know I'd be like oh I'm so sorry to my partner like you know you just kind of feel like you're letting somebody else down um which I mean it goes both ways like you know if she missed a shot or whatever it's like you know well dang you missed that shot <laughs> but anyway I don't know I just I definitely preferred singles um as, in tennis um but but yeah
0: right so you're training. so you're going for most of your if not all of your runs alone and then and as you mentioned you were to practice for or got ready for a 5k then ran a 10k and then we're then we're trying to get into what half marathon shape
1: yes exactly so i um i completed one half marathon uh i guess it was i don't even know what year i was in school at that point but um 2005 was my first half so trained for that one um Alone. Every now and then, I would run with. Um, I had a a friend in Auburn that I would run with, um, and then also my tennis coach from from home. I would run with him sometimes if I was ever home. So um, those were really my only two running buddies at that point. But um, but yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, got it. And then as you're training for your second half marathon, yes. Um, that's when um that's when the incident occurred.
1: Yes. Um, so. When I was training for my second half, I was home um, from, from school for Thanksgiving break. So um, I think I had an eight-mile run uh, scheduled for the day. Um, so I had planned to leave home. I was going to go run, and then I was going to just drive back to school. So, um, you know, my parents didn't – they weren't expecting to hear from me at any certain time other than when I made it back to school safely, you know, cause this was before the, you know, technology like we have now. I mean, I had a cell phone, but, um, it wasn't like a, you know, you updated everybody all the time or whatever. Um, so I went out for this run and, um, just, <laughs> I mean, we can get into more of the details or whatever, but the, you know, kind of the gist is that when I was, um, came around a, kind of a corner and there was a man waiting for me and he threatened me with a gun, dragged me off into the woods and, um, you know, told me that he would kill me if I like made any noise or if I tried to get away or anything like that. And, um, he held me in the woods for hours. Um, so when he, I guess I went out running around probably one or so in the afternoon, it was after church, just like a regular Sunday afternoon. And then, um, he didn't let me go until the sun went down. So it, it was dark and um, he raped me repeatedly. And um, it was just a horrific experience um, at the time. I didn't, I mean, it, it shattered my like, you know, view of the world and just, and that sounds a little dramatic, I guess, but um, it just, it was, it was terrible. Um, but he let me go, um, which I just, you know, kind of still to this day, it's like, I have to be so thankful every day. Like I could have easily been killed that day. Um, but I feel like I have a, you know, like the Lord has a plan for me and I'm here for a reason. Um, and I just kind of prayed the whole time, like, please, Lord, just let me get out of this and just give me a sign that, that, you know, I'm going to be okay. Or, you know, that, that, yeah, this is going to work out. And, um, a deer came up to us in the woods, um, just walked right up to where he had me and the deer like really flustered this guy. So he like started throwing like shoes and just throwing stuff at this deer. And um, honestly, I think that was kind of like the turning point. He got so flustered and I mean, you know, it's still don't really know why he did let me go, you know? Um, But I do think that, that the Lord was watching out for me and that, I mean, obviously that, um, that my prayer was answered that day. Um, but yeah, so that was probably a lot, but, um, that is, that is what happened when I was training for my second half marathon. So,
0: well, first of all, you said that you're being a little dramatic. I know, I, <laughs> okay. no, not at all. Um, yeah. this is, uh, this is heavy stuff. So no, right. I, I would, I would, let me just say, first of all, like, absolutely not, but, okay. um, so, had you run that route before?
1: Um, yes, I had. Um, and it was, um, I mean, it's, I guess, a public park area. Um, and it's not a lot of, well, there's not a lot of runners in my um, town to begin with. So, there weren't really a whole lot of routes where you would, like, you know, typically see a lot of runners out. Um, and apparently, there had been similar, um, things that had happened in this exact same area before. So obviously if I had known that, you know, I wouldn't have been running in that area by myself. Um, but, um, and that was kind of one of the things like, you know, I was gone for, for a really long time. And so my parents were out looking for me and the police had gotten involved. Um, but they ran a story on the front page of the paper the next morning, um, you know, didn't have my name in it or anything like that, but just kind of like, it just laid out everything that happened. And it was, I mean, it's a tiny town. Everybody knew at that point, you know, it's like, everybody knew that it was me or whatever. So, um, but I was, I was really devastated at that time that it was in the paper and all that, because it felt like, you know, my story was being shared. I didn't even really have time to process what had happened to me. It wasn't on my terms, you know, like, I would have definitely said, like, we don't, I don't want this in the newspaper, you know, Um, but the, their point was that we, we need to make people aware that this is happening, or that this is, you know, like, people need to know that this happened, and to be, you know, just to be safe, Um, so I understand that, that they needed, you know, to let other people know that, you know, kind of maybe this isn't the best place to run or whatever. Um, but, but yeah.
0: (laughs) And you said, um, that the kind of like by the grace of God that you had been let go, did you, at during, during those hours, did you think you were going to be let go?
1: Um, I honestly didn't. I mean, I mean, I hoped so, you know, um, I just, I guess, I mean, thinking back on it, I don't, I mean, I know at the time I was completely terrified, but I also think that I had more of a sense of peace than I should have, if that makes sense. So I think that that was, um, definitely, you know, a blessing and probably, you know, that was the Lord with me the whole time, you know? Um, and yeah, I mean, I can't imagine how it would have ended. I mean, it, it would have ended completely different. I mean, it could have ended, you know, horribly. So um, I just, I definitely feel very fortunate.
0: And after, after you had left that wooded area, mm-hmm. what happened next? Cause obviously if, the, if it was, I'm assuming if it was in the paper the next day, you obviously must've reached out to various people.
1: Yes. Yeah, so he, um, he's like, led the scene basically and left me in the woods and told me not to I mean I I think he told me this is what's kind of crazy is like the details are very fragmented which is um basically I mean it makes sense it's part of trauma but um and he told me to wait for uh, you know a certain number of like an hour like he's like just stay here for 30 minutes and then you can leave or something but he left and I'm like I'm getting out of here you know um so I ran back to the main road and, um, at that point, like it was on the police scanners and people all over town were out looking for me. So, um, I mean, within like maybe a couple of minutes of, um, me getting back to the main road, one of my friends' dads picked me up, um, and I got in the car with him and they took me back to my mom and dad. (laughs) So. And
0: then it was, were the, was the police called at that point?
1: Yeah. Yeah. They were, um, they were there as well. Um, so, I mean, I went to like a, like a safe house type thing. I don't know. That's probably not the right word. Um, but you know, it was like, you can either go to the hospital or you can go to this like crisis center. And, um, so that's where, um, I met back with my family and then the police and, um, it was, I mean, lots of, just interviews and, you know, had to do like a sketch of the guy and, um, or I didn't do the sketch, but I had, they had a sketch artist come in and I'm, you know, trying to just grab the scrap and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that that's where all the police got involved and they did a, um, sexual assault kit and collected DNA evidence, which would later years down the road be used to, um, catch this guy. So, um, this, he did get caught. Um, it was four years later that he went in prison. Um, so there was a lot of uncertainty about, you know, who this person was, where he was, like, you know, people were looking for him for years, but, um, he got, I guess, got taken in on a, on a different charge, um, years later and his, um, DNA matched the evidence that they had from that night. So,
0: So so it was four years later, he went to prison. Do you know when he was caught? I mean, that must have been,
1: okay. Uh, Yeah.
0: Were you you told like right away?
1: Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Because, I mean, (laughs) that was the thing too. It's like he said, you know, if you tell anybody, like, I'll kill you, I'll kill your family. And I do think that those were empty threats at this point. But, I mean, I was, you know, 20 years old. I I mean, I believed everything he told me. You know, (laughs) I had no reason to think that he was not gonna do what he said he was gonna do Um, but then when so when the story ran on the front page of the paper I'm like well you know this guy knows that I went to the police and he's gonna come find me and kill me Um, so that was definitely I mean a fear that I had for years Um, so I I mean yeah constantly like and I don't know that I specifically thought he was gonna hunt me down but I definitely lived in fear and Um, I mean, I had post-traumatic stress disorder and, uh, just wasn't really able to function for probably several years. Um, but when they actually caught him, I think it was probably 2008 and then, um, you know, it's kind of has to go through the system and, um, he went into prison in 2009.
0: So, right. But did you, when you saw a picture of him after he'd been caught, did you, you know, right away?
1: Um, I, they, they didn't, I mean, I'm trying to think that, um, no, I mean, I had drawn this or they had drawn the sketch and they, I mean, it's, it was similar to what he looked like. Um, but I mean, with the DNA evidence, they didn't, I didn't have to go to trial or see him ever again. So I, and I didn't want to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a match and that was, that was that. (laughs)
0: Right. Oh man. Um, first of all, thank you. I'll, I'll probably say this a bunch of times, but thank you for for sharing all of this and being so open and honest about this. Because as we t- spoke about before we started recording, you know, you know, was it th- we saw various stats. You know, one in four to one in six um, women, um, and even people, just men and women, have been the victims of some sort of sexual abuse in America. So yeah. this is this is um, a very unfortunate. Story, but I'm even more unfortunate is that it's not exactly rare
1: oh, either, yeah. which
0: is which it's, is really appalling. And right. so, thank you so much for coming on and talking about it. Um, so, you you just talked about how you had PTSD mm-hmm. from this, um, yeah. and you know, you, you obviously, you know, there's a lot of different things that must have been going through your mind for the years um, after the, after the fact, and probably even still today. So, what what I guess, how did you and your family approach the process after the fact to try to, I guess, is rehabilitate the word? I, I'm, I'm trying to search for, like, the proper wording here. But I guess just kind of kind of get to the point where, like, you're kind of trying to get past this on some level. Yeah. Like, what, what, like what that. does that process look like?
1: Just healing, yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, it was completely uncharted territory for, I mean, for me and my family. Um. I have um been to lots of hours of therapy um which has been again like a blessing like i I have learned so much about myself through just the the therapy like i if you meet me in real life, I'll probably tell you that you need to go to therapy, and it's like no offense like I just think that it is so beneficial um and um you know I mean for kind of want to say for for a while it was really not something that we talked about a lot which probably seems crazy but I think it was just easier for us to you know like you know see the bright side as like yes I I lived um and that's it we're you know we don't need to really talk about this um so um the problem with that though is that there's really no way to escape um you can't just suppress the fact that it happened. you have to deal with it you know um so I think that i I really like i was in therapy for a little while and um went to like an inpatient treatment facility as well, which was very like intense therapy, but even when I came out of that i still i mean i I was terrified of life you know <laughs> of everything um so it really just took some time and, um, just, uh, I don't know. Um, it was definitely a process that, um, probably, uh, I, I mean, I think that I've healed done more healing in the last, like, probably two to three years than I did in the 10 years immediately after. Um, so
0: now, why is that, do you think?
1: Um, I think of just, I mean, just like the fact that I'm able to, to talk about it openly now, um, which that's actually the first, the first step of kind of healing is that to open up about what happened to you. It, it kind of takes some of the power out of it. And, um, you know, immediately after it happened, it's like everybody in my life knew that this had happened to me. Um, and, after I graduated from college and I moved to a different city and started working and I kind of just, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to be that girl. Um, you know, that everybody's like, Oh, this you know, poor thing. Um, so that was probably for a good three or four more years. I just really pretended like it didn't happen, which is silly. Um, but it, that's just kind of like probably my, um, I guess my first reaction if something, like, uncomfortable happens is to just, like, ignore it, you know?
0: Um, well, well, even if you wanted to talk to people about it, I feel like unless it was your therapist right. or someone like that, it must have been hard for – it must have been difficult for you to, to talk about it. It yes. must have been hard for other people to talk about it with you because exactly. they probably would have no idea how, what to say, how to say it, mm-hmm. how to approach the conversation.
1: Yep, that's exactly – it's a very um, – it's a difficult topic for everybody. I mean, it makes everybody uncomfortable, so to speak, you know? Um, so I, um, and that's, that's one thing. I mean, I know you've, you know, probably familiar with the me too, um, movement where, you know, lots of people have been able, like in the past, I guess that's been like in this last year, just able to kind of like speak out a little bit by just saying me too. And that, um, I mean, that is so powerful, really. Um, I think that when you are struggling with something like this, if this has happened to you. I mean, there's just a lot of emotions. There's a lot of, I mean, guilt and shame and I mean, you feel dirty and damaged. And I mean, there's just a lot of, there's just a lot to process, but if you can find somebody that has been through that same situation, they've been there, they've had all those same feelings, um, And they, you know, hopefully have come out on the other side. And that's kind of my, I guess, my hope with sharing my story is that, like, people will, you know, reach out to me if if they need somebody to talk to. Um, I'm more than happy to, you know, an ear and to under, you know, it's just something that's comforting about having someone that understands and can be like, you know, I, I get this, like I've, I've been there. It'll be okay. You're going to be okay. You know?
0: Yeah. And and I was going to ask you this at the end, but we can, we can bring it up now too. And it will be in the show notes as well. If people do want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Oh, um, so I guess probably like on Instagram, um, Mobile Bay Runner on Instagram. Um, I also have a blog, MobileBayRunner.com. You can email me from there. Um, But yeah, um, I also have a Facebook page, um, Mobile Bay Runner. Again, it's pretty consistent. Um, But and I actually have had a couple of people reach out to me um, and share their experiences, and um, that is, it's been really powerful for. I'm hopeful for both them and myself. Like just um, sometimes when I, you know, write a post or do something on my blog, I think like, well, I don't even know if anybody's reading this, you know? Um, But when you get that one message that's like, Hey, thank you for, you know, for sharing. And you mentioned this and that really resonated with me. Like that, that means a lot to me. So um, I'm just thankful to like, to be here and to have, Come through the situation and to be able to kind of, I guess, give an example of someone that's come out on the other side.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's a great point. And I can imagine, um, as you mentioned, with the Me Too movement or just someone just reading your own story, that seeing someone else get through it um, would be, would definitely be, you know, be able to provide comfort to someone who's currently going through it. Because I would have to imagine that that there's just so much uncertainty about the future when you're put in that, when you're put in that position.
1: Right. And another thing, like um, I kind of feel that was um, it's easier for me to talk about it, I think, than probably some other people, because, and I'm not saying that I don't like question myself sometimes. I mean, everybody's going to question like, well, what could I have done differently to, to have avoided this situation or whatever. But I mean, I, I know that it was not my fault. Um, you know, I was out running and I mean, no one, no one ever deserves to be attacked by any means. But I think it's easier for me to say I was out running and some random stranger came up, pulled a gun on me and drug me through the woods. Like, obviously I'm not to blame, but I think the people that, you know, maybe you're assaulted by like a family member or like someone they're on a date with, like, I think that it might be harder for them And I don't know this, so I haven't been exactly in their shoes, but it's, I think it would probably be easier to question, like, I don't know, you know, what could I have avoided this? What did I do wrong? Like, because I think, I mean, I do have those thoughts, but I can only imagine that it's, you know, that much more intensified when it's not just a random act of violence, you know. Um, it's someone you're close to. I can't even imagine the, the trust issues and things, you know, that you'd have to work through. But, um, I think it's easier for me sometimes to speak up about it because it, it was like a public event anyway, you know?
0: Right. Yeah. As you mentioned yeah, the, the fact that you didn't have necessarily like have like regrets about how like you proceeded that day. Right. Right. You wouldn't be like, oh, if I had only done this, maybe that wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Or things like that. Yeah. But with that said, I mean, you've, you've even written a post about this just in terms of, um, running safety. Oh yeah. You know, what, what are some of the things that even now that you may, they, what are the things that you do now as a runner? Um, now that, you know, you, have spent a lot of, you know, mental energy thinking about this.
1: Right. Um, so definitely one thing is to tell somebody my route um and make sure that they know um you know someone knows exactly where i'm going to be and what time i'm going to be back and i always um will text you know either if it's my mom or even my husband or whoever just say hey i'm going to run you know such and such route and i will be back at you know 4:30 and i will text you when i get back you know um and they know so they know exactly where i'm going and what time to expect me back um So, you know, that was something that was huge because my parents weren't really expecting to hear from me until, I mean, potentially like late that night because I was going to be driving back to school. Um, And if they had known, you know, they could have known a lot earlier that I was, you know, in trouble um, if I had, you know, something like that in place and they had known that they were going to hear from me. Um, So. Um, I'm trying to think otherwise, um, also, um, actually now I have a, a device called a run angel. I don't know if you've heard about that. Um, I have. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So it's just a personable, personal wearable device, um, that emits a really loud siren and it also will text, um, and email up to three contacts if it's activated, um, and I didn't, I mean, I didn't have anything like that, you know, at the time, but that definitely gives me a lot of peace of mind, um, when I'm out now, um, cause in, you know, in an instant I can activate that alarm and, you know, not only, I, I mean, I think that would have been a total game changer, um, in my situation. Um, cause I think that the guy would have probably just fled when he heard the alarm and, you know, my parents or whoever could have been on their way in, you know, a second, you know? <laughs> Um, yeah that
0: really is an amazing amazing device that's for sure yeah um, it really is a. yeah obviously you couldn't have that necessarily you know 10 years ago i'm trying to to put the cell phone revolution back in my head like (laughs) all right when did when did people start (laughs) carrying cell phones yeah when was this like could have this been used but like yeah obviously now that they're so ubiquitous it really is a wonderful thing yeah um
1: and i definitely run with my phone too if i'm gonna be alone um if i'm running by myself i carry my phone
0: um, mm-hmm. and I, mean, I always will do that
1: just because, you know, why not? I mean, it's really, it's pretty simple. I do, I really don't like to carry anything. I'd rather run with like, you know, nothing, but I mean, it's worth it to have that extra, um, security and just to be able to get in touch with someone if you need to.
0: Yeah, certainly. So, and you've, you've mentioned your faith several times in this conversation and you write about it as well on your, bo- on your blog, uh, mobile Bay runner. Mm-hmm. So as someone who's kind of gone back and forth on faith issues myself, I do, I do have a bunch of questions on this. If you don't mind, Uh, we'll definitely talk about your running again um, later in the conversation for people who who are interested about that. And if you don't already know from the intro, Sam is one heck of a runner. Um, (laughs) But I mean, the day, the the day the incident happened, as you mentioned, you were, you, you were at church that day. Yeah. So you obviously were, you know, were a faithful person that, you know, leading into that and you're a person of faith now, was your faith tested at all through this?
1: Absolutely. Um, I mean, I wish I could say, you know, no, I never wavered in my, in my faith and I never doubted, doubted God, but it, after it happened, I definitely questioned, you know, why this had happened. Um, and, just, I definitely was disconnected, um, from my faith for a couple of years. And I mean, those were the worst, I mean, honestly, the worst years of my life, just because I was in such a terrible place and I didn't necessarily embrace, um, I, I didn't walk with, with God through the struggle. You know, I was like, I'll get, I can get through this, like this terrible thing happened. Um, and it's just kind of been a process over time that I've been able to see. I mean, I feel silly that I've questioned it at this point because so many amazing things have happened. Um, And, I mean, there's a verse in the Bible that says, don't you see you planned evil against me, but God used those same plans for my good. Um, And I feel like that's, you know, maybe my life first, like what Satan meant to harm me, God has used, um, in amazing, powerful ways. Um, and obviously, I mean, you know, we live in a, in a fallen world. I mean, there's lots of evil out there. Um, but I think that God can use just about any situation, um, to, to grow you. And I mean, yes, to test you, to test your faith, but, you know, I guess ultimately, you know, my prayer would be that everybody could see like, to cling to him sooner and to see that these things that happen, um, you know, we develop our character and he's always able to show you something if you're willing to see it.
0: So what were some of the steps that you took as, you know, to take your own words to start walking with, with God again after the few years where, um, where faith really wasn't a part of your life?
1: Um, honestly don't know when there was like, if there was a specific aha uh-huh moment where I, um, kind of just, I mean, I basically, I mean, I had the foundation of faith, like my parents raised me in church and, um, you know, I had, I had solid roots. Um, and I was able to kind of just come back and get, get involved with, um, with the local church and, um, I met my husband, um, he, his faith has made my faith stronger. Um, there's just kind of a combination of lots of things, um, that, that kind of brought me back, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, and, you know, I can see why it would be a struggle at first too. You know, I mean, you said before that it was kind of, you kind of, you positioned it as it was silly that you would kind of let yourself stray (laughs) from your faith, but, I mean, I think that's, again, these are just my, this is my own subjective opinion, but I, I think it's something that's very logical on some mm-hmm. level, right? Because you say, how could this, yeah. how could this have happened? Right. Yeah, like, all exactly. right, if God has such a strong hand in my life and this happens, what does that mean?
1: Right. Right. Right.
0: Because you, you start trying to connect dots mm-hmm. and it can be hard once you try to do that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and I just, I feel very fortunate at this point because I'm able to now look back and see so many ways where you know it i'm sure he was just like have patience you know like just trust me you know um but yeah it um it was definitely a little bit rough for a while um so and i think that's completely normal you know um right i mean not completely normal i mean i would hope that people don't struggle but um i think it's it's okay you know if you if you have doubts, um, and you know, it might take some time to, to fully heal and embrace, embrace what happened. Um, but
0: it'll be worth it. And how you phrase that is interesting too. You say to, to embrace what happened. now, why would you, cause it on some level, right? Just the idea of that, especially, I would assume that the first two or three years after the incident, you would never want to embrace that, right? Like the fact that you phrase it like that now, is that something that you've learned over time or through therapy or through faith or what, why do you position it that way in your mental framework?
1: Um, I think that it's probably a combination of, um, therapy, yes. And, um, being able to see, um, kind of the, some of the good things that have come, um, you know, after the fact, you know, obviously everyone says hindsight is 2020, but when you can actually look back on your life and see what you had just, you know, maybe been willing to, um, open up and kind of just like deal with this. And if you would kind of just, I don't know, I don't know why I'm, I'm even now saying embraced, but that's just kind of how it's like (laughs) burned into my brain at this point. But, um, yeah, just, you can you, know, you can't compartmentalize the hurt like you can't just put it away because that affects every area of your life at that point you're just you know in on autopilot and just trying to survive life and not actually living your
0: life um, that makes sense and yeah. i've heard other people describe other, other other incidents not necessarily sexual assault but other you know kind of terrible things in terms of ownership Mm -hmm. and not meaning like, all right, this happened because you did something that, that, that doesn't play any part in it, but more of like taking ownership of it. Like this happened in my life, but it's not going to define me, but I'm not going to act like it didn't happen either. Yes.
1: Um, There's a quote that it says, like we must accept hardships as the pathway to peace. Um, And when we view our obstacles, not just as like a, something terrible that happened but as like an opportunity to grow and to learn that's when I think that we can truly heal um, and I think that I didn't look for opportunities like right away to grow and learn from it you know I was just like well I'm, I'm alive and that was it you know but I didn't think like oh this is gonna have an an amazing impact on my life like and I say that in a in a really positive way. You know, there's, there's no way to see that in the moment.
0: No, I wouldn't think so. Right. (laughs) Um, so when did you start running again after this?
1: Um, so I definitely was hesitant to run. I'm trying to think, um, I know that like the entire year that I was in grad school, I did not run like, I ran on the treadmill maybe a couple times, um, but never outside and never, you know, um, never by myself. So, um, and, I'm
0: trying to think. Um, And did you go back to college right away or was there some time off there?
1: (laughs) No, there was some time off. Um, I tried to go back uh, right away um, because it's kind of one of those, like, you know, stoicism things, like, I'm, I'm fine, I'll I'll be fine, you know? Um, but I mean, I, I was like terrified to leave my apartment to, you know, go to the grocery store or go to class or, I mean, anything. I was just, um, I mean, I called the police a couple times because I was convinced that someone was in my apartment. I mean, I was just, it, <laughs> obviously I was not okay. <laughs> um, but at the time I, um, so I took, a Took the spring semester off after that happened, and then also I planned to go back in the summer after I took that spring off, and I still wasn't ready. I couldn't I feel like I couldn't think clearly, which I realize now is one of the kind of symptoms of PTSD. Is you just your thinking and emotional regulation centers in your brain are completely under You're not able to use those. All you're able to use is your fear center. Um, so. But at the time I was just like this little, Miss 4.0, like I thought that drop school and I say dropping out like I graduated, but even taking a semester off, like felt like, you know, the end of the world. I was like, oh, I'm a failure now, Um, which is so easy to to look back now and think like, well, I mean, (laughs) I could have taken years off and it would have been fine, you know, Um, but at the time it was, it was a hard decision.
0: All right. So you said that you cut, you started getting back into it in grad school. So what, that's about three years later, Oh eight.
1: Yeah. Something like that. Oh eight, oh nine. Um, I know I was running again in 2009 cause that's when I met my husband. Um, and actually this is kind of part of the, I guess, neat thing about the story is he was from the same, originally we grew up in the same town, but we didn't really know each other. Um, we were friends on Facebook, um, <laughs> but had never actually met in person. Um, but he lived where I live now down in the mobile area. And um, I sent him a message one day on Facebook and I was like, I know you run, you know, I'm kind of newer to this area. Um, do you like have a group that you run with or can you give me some good routes or kind of suggestions of places to run um, in mobile? And, um, you know, he basically knew who I was because of what had happened to me. Um, and, you know, he, he, kind of responded to my message. Um, my father-in-law likes to joke that I sent this mass message to like every guy that ran. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> that Daniel's the only one that responded to me, um, but that was really not it. I just like somehow, you know, singled him out. But um, we uh, talked back and forth a little bit and then just finally decided that we were just going to meet and run one day. And um, we met in 2009 and um, <laughs> we're just, it was just like one of those things that was meant to be. And um, he called his parents like a couple, maybe we had run together a few times and he was like, I'm going to marry this girl. Um, and they were like, yeah, we, we kind of thought that that was, she was going to be the one um, So it was just, uh, just crazy kind of how that happened. Um, but, you know, he's a runner now and, and I mean, was a runner then, but I'm just saying, I, I have, you know, I have him kind of, permanently at my side. And, um, you know, we run together a good bit. We've, I've, you know, met so many friends, um, through running. It's, you know, it's definitely not a, um, solitary activity for me anymore. Like I'm pretty much like, if I don't have someone to meet for a run, then I don't, I mean, I will run by myself. And that's not even really just because I don't want to run by myself. It's because I would just, I love running with friends and, um, it's become a very social thing for me. Um, so (laughs)
0: And the fact that he was from your hometown and and kind of knew what had happened, that must have been on some level made it easier for you, right? Because you didn't have to explain anything. You could just kind of like, right? Just kind of like, just, just, you could just kind of like be yourself a little bit.
1: I honestly did not know if he knew. Um, Oh, I mean, I assumed, you know what I mean? I just, pretty much everybody did. So I did assume that he knew. Um, But it took us a couple, I mean, I didn't like bring it up on the first run or anything. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, once I was able to kind of open up to him about, you know, Hey, this is what happened to me. And he was able to say like, I know, and I'm, I'm here for you. And I love you. Like, you know, it was just like, he, it didn't, it wasn't like any, um, I don't know. It was, it was really like amazing to have him, know and you know not think any differently of me for it you know um and right. yeah
0: <laughs> yeah I can imagine that would be a fear right especially the first couple of years right like, yeah is this, is this going to affect my relationships right
1: right and I think that there definitely was things that we um had to work through as a couple that I would have had no idea you know that this you know hey you know Five ten 10 years later, this is going to be still an issue that, you know, no matter how much work you've done to kind of work through these things, that this is still going to be something that you have to stay, um, kind of stay on top of. Um, so yeah.
0: <laughs> right. All right. So, so running became this kind of communal exercise for you, literally and figuratively. Yes. And do you remember when it transitioned from all right this is just all right i'm I'm being active i was always an active person before and now i'm starting to meet people so that's nice when did it go from just a casual thing that you're feeling out for the most obvious of reasons Mm -hmm. to something that all of a sudden you considered yourself a a runner and you are having goals and races on your mind
1: um, I think definitely it was around the time that, um, that Daniel and I met, uh, because he was already kind of in that, I mean, he ran, he ran cross country in college, um, and he was running with a group and I mean, he was already a quote runner, you know, when we met, um, and I think he kind of pulled me over <laughs> as soon as, um, pretty much as soon as we met, I kind of started meeting with this group and I started, um, we would do track you know, once a week. And I mean, within like probably a couple months of me doing a couple track workouts, I mean, I probably dropped eight or nine minutes off of my 10K time. You know, it was just like, then. Oh, that's
0: all? That's all? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just, only eight, only eight to 10 yeah, minutes?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like the improvement was like addicting. You know what I mean? It was like, oh my gosh, like who knew I could do this? um <laughs> So, you must
0: have felt unleashed a little bit. I mean, to, to have that sort of rapid improvement, yeah, must have been pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, it was really, it was really pretty um, amazing. Like I kind of I guess that just kind of like empowered me more too. You know, as I got better at running, running has given me so much confidence that I would have never had um, in myself. You know, just my abilities. Like, I mean, I feel confident in my ability as a runner. Um, and that's not been something that I've been able to say in other areas, you know, previously, but now running kind of like transcends the other areas too. And I just feel like I'm, I mean, it just makes me a better person, you know? Um, well,
0: yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to list your five, your, your PR time because you're way too humble. <laughs> oh, to gosh.
1: Do a, okay. All right.
0: I'm going <laughs> to, oh my, you're saying, oh my gosh. No, this is unbelievable. All right. Cause we, you know, we're, we're talking about, we're talking a lot here in this, in this episode. This is not a running specific episode. Obviously, yeah, however, <laughs> this is a running podcast, and I think that your' your the triumphant part of this story i think is to, is is already happening in this chronic kind of chronological order we're taking mm-hmm. but it it happens soon as well um all right, so your mile time five twenty three two mile eleven twenty six five k eighteen twenty three ten k thirty eight thirty two a one twenty four half and a 302 marathon PR, which they're all, those are all absolutely (laughs) extraordinary times. Um, So obviously you had quite a bit, quite a bit of talent in there all along that you, you obviously are now making the most of, and (laughs) it certainly is great to hear. And to top it all off, talk to us about 2015. I mean, what a (laughs) glorious, you talk about, you know, triumphing over all of this. Yeah, This is just such a, such a crazy thing.
1: Yeah. So in 2015, I somehow managed um, to win the rock and roll New Orleans marathon. Um, And if you had told me, you know, 10 years prior that, A, I would still be running and B, I would have, that I was going to win a marathon. I would have, told you that you were just had lost it you know like there's no way that that is gonna happen in my life um but yeah I um I had like a magical race day in New Orleans um I ran a 20 minute PR um which I had had several marathons that probably you know didn't quite um, my performance on race day didn't line up to what I thought I probably could have done at that point but um it just all came together that day and um it was an absolutely incredible feeling um like one I feel like I'll probably never be able to like replicate just being able to break the tape um and what you know it's it's not like it's a huge event it's not like you know
0: it is a huge <laughs> event Sam okay it is a huge event well okay
1: well so anyway it was amazing <laughs> um,
0: so uh, absolutely all right not that it matters but what, what, what was this your 302 or um, did that come later
1: this was 303 so i ran okay. yeah 302 in new york um that same year actually so that was just a good year <laughs> um but yeah so new orleans um yeah i mean i had no idea that i would even be in the you know top 10 um and I mean, on some ways, like, I mean, if you look back, like, 303 is not a time that typically wins. I mean, not many marathons, definitely not, like, a rock and roll. And I know they're not as competitive um, as they, you know, maybe were at one point when they would, like, you know, they had elite runners that they would, you know, pay and all that. But, um, but yeah, so um, it was a total shock. And, um, I mean, it really, like, kind of – that, that one event, I feel like definitely brought the attack and everything like to maybe not to a close, but it brought it full circle. And that I was able to see like this terrible thing happened to me while I was running, you know, 10 years ago, it was actually 10 years. Exactly. Um, and now, you know, I've met my husband, I've met some of my best friends through running as well. And, you know, not only that, but I've, been able to win a marathon, you know, like I I say now, like I went from victim to victory that day and it really changed my whole mindset. Um I then was like more open to sharing my story. Um so at that point I really hadn't talked to a lot of people about it. Um the people from my hometown, you know, where I grew up still knew but I had kind of like started this quote new life and it wasn't something that I was just talking about you know um but that that marathon gave me like just a new outlook and a new I was able to see the full picture like we were talking about earlier you know you can't see that right away um but then I was able to look back and say wow like this this all came together and this is the good that was meant to come you know like I felt like I was there that day for a reason and that you know, that was just my day to shine or whatever.
0: Um, now, did all of these realizations come to you pretty quickly after you finished that race? Because it must have just been an emotional explosion. Yeah, level.
1: I know. Like, I don't even know how many emotions I felt. Um, like, I was like, I don't know whether to cry or like, you know, it was just like, so, um, so many feelings. Um, but no, I don't think it was. I mean, it wasn't like, an immediate. like I crossed the finish line. I was like, oh, now I'm victorious. But um I guess maybe just with more reflection. And actually that's when I, I started my blog a couple of months after that race. And I think when I sat down <laughs> to write, you know, just like my first post, even it was like, just the the act of sitting down and writing, which spoiler, this is why they tell you that journaling is a good thing to do in therapy. Um, but just like sitting down and like kind of processing it, you can like really, connect the dots. And, um, that's true for me still. Like when I sit down and write, you know, I don't do it as often as I did when I first started my blog, but it's always like a, something, you know, I always have like some sort of realization that I probably wouldn't have had if I hadn't taken the time to sit down and be quiet and just kind of think, think back and reflect. So I think reflection is a huge, um, is a huge thing can be very beneficial that if you're having a hard time seeing, like kind of like why there, certain things happened or the order of things, like just to reflect back and you can kind of start to see the pieces and how they come together.
0: Uh, that's some great advice. Do, do you have other things as well that you would recommend people um, consider doing if they've gone through either something similar that you went through or just, just a traumatic event in general?
1: Um, I definitely think finding a, therapist is very important um and find one that you really connect with um you know and that might not be the first person that you talk to or you know um but just you definitely need to have somebody that you can just you know let it all out to um and then if you have people in your life that you're close enough with like I would definitely recommend sharing it with your closest friends as well um you know if you have somebody that that you feel comfortable, um, just because having someone that, like a therapist is great, but they're not, they can't be there for you all the time. You know, um, you need somebody in your life, you know, on a day-to-day basis that can, can be there and, um, you know, and help you if you need it, you know, as well. Um, I definitely think journaling is a great thing. Um, um, trying to think other, other things that, have been helpful, um, but
0: how important is patience in healing? Because <sighs> I would think, on some level, that you'd want it to like obviously, you'd want the healing process to go like that cycle to go as quickly as possible. Yeah. So, how important is patience in navigating that?
1: I mean it's it's definitely the utmost importance, and it's it really seems because it's not easy um, to be patient. But I mean, you can't. There's there's no timeline um, for healing, you know, like everybody, it's going to look different for everybody. And, um, there's not like, you know, when you get to one year, you should be at this milestone. I mean, there's just no, there's no, there's no definitions for that. And it just, I mean, it could take years, you know? Um, so yeah, I think just being patient, but knowing to kind of be hopeful that one day, like just to look for, like, try to like, find positives in day-to-day and be looking for the ways that you know oh well if this hadn't happened then this wouldn't have happened like I kind of like to do that just all the time just try to think like oh well you know just random things you know nothing like not even super meaningful things but I think that if you kind of stop and look like lots of things like the timing of things is just really interesting sometimes you know
0: right all right and and To go along with your wonderful lineup from victim to victory, Um, I guess one last question before we get going. Okay. What is, uh, what's on the horizon for you running wise, 2018 and beyond?
1: Uh, You know, that is a really good question. Um, So I am, um, in August, we're doing a Ragnar uh, relay in Colorado, which I'm really excited about. Um, So that's definitely like the social aspect of running. Um, It's so much fun. I don't know if you've ever done one of those, but. No, I haven't highly recommend. Um, this will be our, my fourth Ragnar, I think. So, um, that's just kind of a fun thing that I'm doing. And then I kind of have my eye on a fall marathon, maybe, or maybe Boston 2019. Um, but, um, um, I haven't, I'm, I'm kind of like one of those that doesn't like to commit to marathons. Um, and I really do enjoy the like shorter distances too. So I kind of have thought maybe i'll train for a half in the fall and then then maybe do boston and not do two marathons you know so um to be determined
0: (laughs) to be determined (laughs) And, and, and uh and you work with a coach right
1: yes i work with um sarah bishop of mccurdy trained
0: and of course sarah's fantastic yes
1: she has been amazing um so i've probably just been working for with her for a couple months i guess but um she has definitely pushed me outside of my comfort zone um with the workouts, with the paces and um she's like been very confident in my abilities, which is so nice. Um, you know, just to have somebody believe in you and be like, you know, you can do this. Like there's no doubt in my mind. Um so yeah, that's that's been a great it's been really good so far. So um
0: Yeah, I love following her as well. She's like a complete badass with the rug. Oh my
1: gosh, I know. Like I'm like she I want to be her. <laughs> She's amazing. man um, is her four kids. Love Mine's that. But four I, kids. That's not for me.
0: So. <laughs> there you go. There well, you. Sam, thank you so much for taking the time to do this and for reaching out in the first place. Yeah. This is a very important story, and I really <laughs> appreciate you sharing all of it uh, with everyone who's listening. Again, uh, Mobile Bay Runner on, yes. on everything social and dot-com related. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> That's how to get a hold of you. Thank you so much, Sam. This has been an absolute pleasure.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I hope that it, um, you know, hits somebody that needs it. All
0: right. I'm sure it will. Thanks again. hmm Thank you, Sam, for coming on the Rambling Runner podcast. This was such a powerful episode. And I can't thank Sam enough for... The candor and openness with which he talked about so many different topics, um, so many different issues, I should say, regarding a very specific topic, and that is runner safety, um, and just for her all the elements um, regarding the safety, either you know before, during, and after, and how she approached her recovery and rehabilitation, and. Just the level of detail she gave in this episode. I'm, I'm never going to be able to thank her enough for that. And I hope you got a lot out of it. I know I did. That's for sure. So thank you, Sam, again. I really appreciate it. Thank you, the listener, for tuning in. I certainly appreciate that. So thanks again, and happy running.